Hello, it's Tuesday the 16th of January 2024. I'm Alex von Tunzelman and I very much did not win Iowa last night. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, <laughs> the modern newspaper review. Every weekday we deep roast the British press, run it through a grinder, put it in hot water and serve you up a steaming cup of media coffee. A zowie. Hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Now, here are the headlines for today's show. I rewandered lonely as a cloud. Sunak's doomed cruelty pageant hits yet more obstacles. Be afraid, be very afraid. Donald Trump wins the Iowa caucus by a gosh darn mile. And all lilibets are off. Tabloids are in a froth about Harry and Meghan upsetting the late Queen by giving their kid her nickname. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. for joining us on Paper Cuts, where we're still trying to work out what a caucus is. Cork? Cactus? Porpoise? No idea. Anyway, I'm Alex von Tunzelman, and with me today is the bunker host Jacob Jarvis, who'd win in Vermont, he thinks. Hi, Jarv. Hi, Alex. And also joining us is comedian Gronny Maguire, who reckons she's got Maine in the bag. Just them Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Gronya. So, what do we have on the front pages today, Jarv? You've got the broadsheets. So on the front page of the eye, we have migrants taken off first round of flights still in asylum hotels 18 months later. So, yeah, a bit of Rwanda doom and gloom and showing how much of a mess that whole situation is there, which I'm sure we'll speak about a little bit more in a bit. Then on the front of the Guardian, we have a defiant Houthis attack cargo ship as conflict widens in Middle East. There's also a picture of Andy Murray there, which is, was this Andy Murray's last match in Australia? I, I don't know why in Australia is particularly important. <laughs> I mean, he, anyway, he's doing yeah. a sort of eh. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. I, we, as we all should be, because he could play anywhere else but Australia. <laughs> I don't know if that's super important. <laughs> then the, the Daily Telegraph has your ultimate plan for a healthier year at the top because they're still telling you that you're a fucking pig in 2024 and you have to sort it out <laughs> as we all do because they just, they're just rinsing that out as long as they can. But then their main story there is Tory deputy chairman to rebel over mm. Rwanda bill. Bit about Lee Anderson there. And they've got a massive picture of Trump with all these pizzas saying Trump set to deliver in Iowa. So... See what they've done there? Yeah, see what they've done there. See what they've done there. Don't love what they've done there, but they've done something. <laughs> and then the Times, we've got world on perilous path to war within five years, Shaps warns. So good news there. Oh, God. And then Sunak will speed Rwanda appeals in SOP to rebels. SOP is just a strange word, isn't it? But mm. basically, a little bit Sunak there wanting to try and appease people that he's pissing off, which is basically the news every single day at the moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, and Gronia, how are the tabloids looking? Well, so the Daily Mail have sort of two main lead stories. The exclusive insiders reveal Queen shattering words to aid after Sussex's named their daughter Lilibet. Mm-hmm. Big story this morning. And then <laughs> they're also going with the Rwanda story. PM, I will underline, I will defy Euro judges on Rwanda flights. The Daily Mirror has Patsy, Ender's return is like going home. And then their main story is exclusive royal row, name calling. Palace happy 
inverted commas, that truth, inverted commas, <laughs> is revealed about Queen's Fury, inverted commas, over Harry and Meg naming their girl Lilibet. The latest twist in saga about what to call a tiny baby. There's a lot of inverted commas in that it's headline. There's a lot of inverted <laughs> It's a big... She, inverted commas are really having mm, a moment. It's almost like none of it's quite true. <laughs> <laughs> The son are going with Kyle to be dad again, this time with his wife. And that's England Love Rash, which, do you know what? These other ways this news has been in the past sort of four or five years, it's just nice to see Love Rash mm. back. We've so, missed you, Love Rash. Oh, it feels almost like a return to normal. Things are okay if Love Rash is in a headline. Carl Walker, his strange wife, Annie, is pregnant with their fourth child. Well, apparently, he's also having a baby. Alfresco. <laughs> Outside the marriage. <laughs> okay, I mean, yeah, busy man. Yep. And then the Daily Star, once again, covering the news stories that matter. And their lead story is bad news. It's very, very cold. Oh, no. Worst news, it'll cause a pie-eating frenzy. <laughs> the headline is, blubbery weather we're having. And there's and, a picture, isn't there, of somebody eating a pie? Yeah, um, sort of a muffled up guy wearing a very warm hat and scarf, just uh, treating himself to to a little baked good. Because right. it's, so, it's so blooming cold. That's the news. So away from pie news, though, Jov, there's a lot of, um, <laughs> lot of Rwanda on the front pages today, again, from a lot of different angles. So, I mean, you talked us through a couple of bits in the headline there. What I can't get to the bottom of here, I mean, this seems to me to be a terrible story for Sunak from pretty much all angles. He's got rebels, it's not working, even the kind of positive Daily Mail spin, which the Express are doing as well, of like, he'll defy the European judges. I mean, we all know that's not really going to work. I mean, why is he still pushing this? Kind of, it would appear, because he sort of has to, because he has pushed it so hard for so long. So Lee Anderson and Brendan Clark-Smith are two of the people rebelling against him, deputy chairs of the Conservative Party. And Lee Anderson's an interesting character as someone I think they've brought in. <laughs> yeah, I'm being very, very generous there. Interesting. <laughs> but he, he was brought in, everyone thought, to be a bit of a bulldog for Sunak. And then suddenly... Oh no, he's been annoyed at Sunak too and causing trouble for him. So he's going to rebel against it. We don't know if he's going to uh, be sacked because of it. Apparently he's he's daring him to sack him, as the eye says, is the sort of stupid language the newspapers always go for. But yeah, for Sunak, I don't know. He's He said he's going to do it. And at this point, he's gone through so much trouble to do it. It would look quite ludicrous if he didn't. He obviously wants it as a bit of a dividing line between him and Labour. So, I don't know, he needs it to happen, even though at this point, it doesn't look like it will make realistically anyone happy, because it won't be horrible enough for the people who want it to be horrible, and it'll be far too horrible for the people who think human beings maybe don't deserve to be treated in this way. Yeah, so I mean, you know, is this just a kind of fixed idea that's got into his head that he's kind of doggedly pursuing, but... I mean, like you said, there's no good outcome, is there? I mean, even if they do achieve what they're intending to achieve and send 200 people to Rwanda, I mean, that's not going to make these the kind no. of anti-immigration people happy, is it? No, and it seems to make less and less sense by the day, given that, for example, we have taken in asylum seekers from Rwanda and Grant Shapps was asked yes. about this and couldn't really explain why we've done that if it's such a safe place to go. And the <laughs> amendments are, around it are essentially... 
the people who want us to go harder on it don't want people to be able to bring up individual appeals and don't want the European Convention of Human Rights to be able to overrule us. Sunak is kind of playing this sort of game of twat panto where he's going <laughs> oh I, I, no I will go against it and everyone's going oh no he won't and he's going oh yes I will and he's saying oh no he would overrule Strasbourg and overrule Europe but doesn't want the amendment to happen at the same time so it all just is it's just a clusterfuck it doesn't really make sense he's pushed too far with it and he just feels like I've got to keep going now The news that was too late for the British papers for their deadlines this morning was, of course, that Donald Trump has won the Iowa caucus. We do have that picture in the Telegraph. A couple of papers put picture on the front with a load of pizza boxes. But by that stage, he hadn't yet won. He has now won. Jav, is it time to start panicking? If you weren't panicking about Donald Trump being able to be the Republican Party candidate <laughs> by now, I'm, I'm really sorry to say, yeah, you probably should definitively panic at this point. Mm. So the, the Iowa caucuses are the first the first time where pe- members of the parties can vote for who they want their candidates to be. It's quite a big deal. It happens every four years. And even though Iowa isn't necessarily completely representative of the entirety of the United States, it normally seems like quite a predictor of who will do well. Maybe that's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you do badly, you probably drop out and stuff like that. But anyway, Trump has done incredibly well. And I don't say that lightly unfortunately he's done really really well so before now no one had won by more than 12 points has ever won the contest more than that in the the caucuses and at the moment the not all the votes counted but he has won nearly all of them are and trump had won 51 percent compared to desantis's 21 percent so ron desantis looks like for a little while everyone thought oh he's like young sparky trump and he's gonna knock him off of his knock him off of his tower and get rid of him but that is just really not happening so essentially Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley were pretty much neck and neck on about 19 and 21 but then Trump's on 51 so then Vivek Ramaswamy he was sort of the closest like a bit of a tech bro libertarian-y feeling guy kind of close to Donald Trump in the whole a little bit weird right wing sphere has dropped out so that's good mm-hmm. for Trump already DeSantis and Nikki Haley neither won a clear second Basically, yeah, we do have to worry because then when you look at the polls of polls, you look at Biden and Trump matched up, it's pretty it's pretty close. And neither one of them looks exactly like they are in the, the best state to run a massively effective campaign. But Trump is the one who looks like he could probably run a more angry and horrible one. And unfortunately, maybe that's what could actually do quite well in America right now. But yeah, it didn't make the didn't make the UK papers particularly other than the weird pictures of Trump in the run up to it. But the New York Post went with icebreaker. Trump shatters rivals with historic win in frigid Iowa. So everyone stateside is pretty much cranking this up as going, fuck, he's done really, really well. Well, (laughs) actually, some of the papers seem to not mind him so much over there. So they're going, yay, he's done really, really well. I mean, so it was freezing, as Joel mentioned there, wasn't it, Ronnie? So it's a pretty low turnout for this, actually, because the weather's so bad in Iowa. Yeah, I mean, it's just, when you read about, you know, how high his his his, his polling is, it feels like, it's like America's turned into one big, like, Jonestown. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drink the Kool-Aid, yeah. kids. <laughs> It'll be Trump brand Kool-Aid is yeah. what they've got. And it's like, it's, just like he can do no wrong. They just will forgive him no matter what he does. And it kind of reminds me like how I feel when 
whenever anybody suggests anything negative about Britney Spears, <laughs> I will just get up and walk out of the room. <laughs> and that's what how they feel about uh, their political leader, who is like objectively unsuited for any leadership whatsoever. So, yeah, it's depressing. And I mean, he might be in prison by the time of the election, but they can still vote for him even if he's in prison. But yeah, I mean, is he going to be given like, or is he going to be like conducting state business in his, you know, once a week visiting sessions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be quite fun. I imagine if he actually then wins the presidency, he can probably, I don't know, can he pardon himself? Pardon or like be like, you know, meeting political leaders, you know, over a burner phone. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're in new territory. It's sure. very... Well, uh, it's very confused because there are some things he can pardon himself for and then some of the, the state charges, for example, it would be that he wouldn't be able to even if he were to become president. But like you were saying with the voters, I did a did a bunker podcast recently where we spoke about the Trump voters. And the issue being is that most of the groups of those people are in quite immovable positions. Yeah. So you've got people who are sort of true believers, so they will just vote for him no matter what. You've then got the reluctant Trump supporters who basically will vote on just one topic, whatever that might be. And there's not really, he will go to extremes to mop them up. And then you have people who just hate Biden. Yeah. They're sort of the three big groups. Mm. They're just going to vote for him because they don't like Biden. So it's like there's this massive block of people for all quite weird, warped types of logic, which kind of defy all logic, to be honest, can't really move away from him. And that's why we're in this weird, stuck position of just two quite high levels of numbers for both him and for Biden, but then high disapprovals for both at the same time because everyone's just there, locked in. And that's it. So it's unfortunately we're going to have a whole year of this shit of stupid pictures of Donald Trump and everyone saying how amazing he'll do and whatever else that might be. Even though not really a lot can change how anyone will vote. Yeah. It's just that sort of coin flip when it comes to who manages to get the more people to turn out for them to do it is, is the key determiner there. Now, onto the really serious, meaningful news. Um, the tabloids and a couple of the more embarrassing broadsheets have gone big today on the supposed story that the late Queen was furious when Prince Harry and Meghan, Duchess of Sussex, called their second kid Lilibet. Lilibet was the Queen's own nickname because when she was a kid, she couldn't pronounce Elizabeth. Gronia, what's going down here? This is... What is going on with you guys? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. You're our royal correspondent. Don't you pretend this is our fault. <laughs> um, okay, so I did think, you know, with the whole Epstein papers and how much Prince Andrew was featured in it, I did sort of, as a, you know, jokingly like say to my friends, I wonder how they'll drag Meghan into all of this. Well, they found a way. They did it, guys. <laughs> they did it because as reported in a lot of the tabloids and some broadsheets, Apparently, the late Queen, RIP, was devastated when she discovered that Harry and Meghan had named their second child Lilibet, which apparently was a very personal and important uh, personal nickname that was only shared with her and her besties. It was a real life. You got to call Elizabeth <laughs> Lilibet like you're in. And they even have, they said it was the most upset she's ever been. 
her whole life, the whole time she was queen, and I'll, more I'll than list when it. her husband died. More than when her husband really died. More than when the royal yacht Britannia was decommissioned. <laughs> more than that was tampon the worst gate. Bit, she found out somebody who was working for her was a Russian spy. She, the abdication crisis, was in a living. She was ten when that happened. So that's sort of in the liminal space in her memory. Forget all about it. That's nothing. A toddler <laughs> stole her name. A toddler stole her name, which I will remind listeners, was a storyline in Sex and the City when mm. Charlotte was upset that somebody else stole her baby name. So if Queen Elizabeth had watched Sex and the City on repeat, that would have hit home. She would have been like, stop, this is too personal. Hard relate. So this is apparently... I'm going to read it out because, again, I'm, I'm interested in the royals, but I wouldn't call myself a royalist until I read this quote. And then I was like, I get it. If Queen Elizabeth II was this petty and like self-pitying and dramatic, I actually, I would have liked her. I would have, I feel bad that I didn't get to know her more when she was still alive. Apparently, she said, I don't own the palaces or the paintings, only my name. And now they've taken that. <laughs> I mean, which I, I think that is, so don't, don't, that I'm pretty sure is a direct quote from what's love got to do with it. <laughs> when Tina just wanted her name, she just wanted her name. She is technically as well, Elizabeth II, though. So on name owning as well, yeah. she has kind of directly taken, yeah. there was a first. There was an original before her, yeah. So, but on the other hand, with this story, there's so many inverted commas in the headlines. There's so much. Did she actually say any of this? I mean, is this just made up? I would be extraordinarily surprised if this was legitimate. I mean, bearing (laughs) what her whole personality was presented to us as, the fact that she would get really offended that her granddaughter, no, not granddaughter, great-granddaughter, had stolen her nickname. The fact that that what really annoyed her at the end of a long, glorious life and reign um, doesn't quite fit the character. It doesn't sound very realistic, does it, Joel? Is this just the papers wanting to keep Harry and Meghan negative stories on the front page because that sells copies? Is that what's happening? So the royals quite famously don't really often deny stuff. So Mm. when you look at a lot of royal reporting the palaces won't actually comment on it to confirm it. So that's why stuff comes out like Harry has brown sauce with every single meal he Mm. has because he's such a good Brit lad. And they're never going to say no. Mm. So with all of this, they are kind of above it all. They're just items to sell papers for the papers. The papers want to use them. But do they care all that much when it's really extreme stuff, potentially so? But stuff like this, it's a bit like, well... They're probably not going to comment on it. And the Queen is dead. Mm-hmm. So. And then also, it. what I find so bizarre is that, like, okay, what's a, what's a more offensive way of honouring the Queen's legacy? Is it Harry calling his daughter after her or suggesting she was incredibly petty? <laughs> yeah, <I mean. laughs> like, real, like, viciously competitive towards a two-year-old. And making up appalling quotes and attributing <laughs> yeah. it to on the front of the page of the papers. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty disrespectful as these things go. I mean, and hold on a minute. I don't own the palaces or the paintings. Jov, can you just give us a technical read on... Of did, course. Did she own stuff? Because, I mean, 
I feel like she had quite a lot of stuff. you got to feel sorry for the Queen because she had a lot of stuff. But yeah, it wasn't really hers, except for all the time that she was the reigning monarch, at <laughs> which point it was hers, and she was the reigning monarch until she died. So right. essentially there are there's a lot of stuff within the Queen's portfolio is divided into things that she personally owns and then assets that belong to the reigning monarch, which... A part of the the crown estate. There's loads of art. There's all the crown jewels, things like that. Mm. So basically, whilst you're reigning monarch, it's yours, but you can't you can't take it down to CEX <laughs> and, and trade it in or anything <laughs> like that. You know, you have to think, fuck, I've got that. I'm a bit skint this month. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to be able to sell all of that art, but unfortunately, I can't. So essentially, technically, no. It's a bit like, I don't know, it's like a leasehold flat or something, I suppose, for the Queen. She doesn't really own it all. It's, it's, quite as, it's almost as big an injustice, actually, as the leasehold scandal, I would say. But <laughs> things she did own, again, though, only whilst she was reigning monarch, which she was while she was right, the ages. Queen and for a yeah. very long time. So swans, people probably know this, that she owned all unmarked mute swans in open water in England and Wales. Although, bit shit she could only exercise that right on certain stretches of the Thames and in, in, in surrounding tributaries. So... What, so she's up in Manchester, she can't just grab no, a swan and, and go, I mine think now. if I wanted to own a swan, I'd want to own them, you know? The I whole lot. Want, uh, so, <sighs> poor Queenie. But this was a crazy one that I quite like, is that UK law stipulates that the reigning monarch owns whales, sturgeons and porpoises within three miles of Britain's shore. So animals within the sea, up to three miles away, that she cannot see, she owns. Just that whale, <laughs> mine. So, to be honest, I think the Queen, where she lets down, not been more annoyed about when all those whales were washing up on beaches yeah. and stuff. She should be really... That should have been more upsetting than her nickname been stolen, mm. I would say. Handbags, though. She had 200 alone, produced by luxury London designer Lorna Launa. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce that. But the average price tag for such an accessory is around £1,900. So 200 of them, I'll let you work that out for yourself so i'd say she owned quite a lot she of stuff, stuff but to yeah. be fair to her technically not i mean come on and when basically technically when she died she didn't own it right so, but i mean also technically none to of, all she of was, us but the queen was famously a socialist she didn't believe in <laughs> possessions <laughs> now here at paper cuts we turn to the headlines yes it's our favorite bit and even when we're shady about them you know we love them really Jav, you've got the sun. Yes, yeah, so on page 21 of the sun, there is a story about a mum who has made £2,000 by selling her old clothes, which she's modelled on a cardboard cutout of TV's Sir David Attenborough. <laughs> I, I, I quite enjoyed this. I also, yes, there's Laura Parks, 29, listed items that she no longer wore on the resale site Vinted. And for whatever reason, <laughs> she's put them over a cardboard cutout of Attenborough, which I suppose stands out. <laughs> he's got this sort of sparkly looking dress over him. Very strange. Anyway, the headline there. Yeah, there's no point in me really even describing it very much because it doesn't make sense to describe very well. But anyway, the headline is Vinted. I prefer Amazon. Right, yes, you do sort of have to then make several jumps, don't yeah, you? From it. Oh, yes, he likes the rainforest. Leaps, but, you yes. know, yeah, I, I don't know what would have been better than it, but no. something, anyway. And then... <laughs> they could have right. said, you in these outfits, you look as hot as the planet because of climate change. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, yeah. Yep. He's worried about that. Good work, Gronya. <laughs> then on page 41, there is... 
uh, a story about pawnbrokers have a 10 million pound boom time, apparently, mm. according to the Sun. Hard up Brits are using their valuables to raise money by going to pawnbroker Ramsden's, and Ramsden's have been able to climb their profit up by over 20%. I imagine maybe the Queen tried to take the, the crown jewels there. Yeah. Knows? But their <laughs> headline is. For a <laughs> exactly. Their headline is There's gold in them, thar tills. Oh, <laughs> right. Yes. It's a bit more straightforward. That's pretty, than the it's, it's not bad. Yeah. It's not bad. Yeah. Gronya, what have you got? Okay. So in the Daily Mirror, they have a story about how Harry Kane is really doing well in his new club in Germany. Okay. Lock that in. He's in Germany. Okay. <laughs> headline is. Her transplant. Oh, like as in hair, as in mine hair. Then in the Daily Star, a story about a space mission to beam up the cast of TV Star Trek to a final resting place on the moon is set to crash land on Earth. Boffins. Oh, oh bloody boffins again. Headline is Star Wreck. Oh, good. Yes, yes, Snappy. I like that. Star Wreck, very good. And then also in the Daily Star, a woman manages to get her handbag zip stuck on her nose. (gasps) And it's just, it's a very snappy, precise headline. It just goes, zip R. (laughs) Zip R. Zip R. (laughs) Zip a zip R. (laughs) So uh, thoughts and prayers to the woman affected by this. I'm Ros Taylor with news of Oh God, What Now? The politics podcast that's never going to leave its voter ID at home. On Friday's show, it's six months until the US election and Donald Trump is stuck sitting on trial in a New York courthouse. Is he bulletproof or can Joe Biden turn around the polls? In the second half, it's local elections week, but we've steadily taken power away from local authorities. What if we gave it back? And in the extra bit for supporters, is there a right level of ruthlessness in politics? That's Oh God, What Now? with me, Ros Taylor, Raphael Baer, Hannah Fern, guest Nikki McCann-Ramirez, out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, welcome to the supposedly soft bit of the show that far too often turns out to be a bed of nails. That's right, it's the features sections. And today we have a kind of intriguing story, which is actually on the front page of The Telegraph. And we learn that Highgate Cemetery is going to make some space for new graves near the famous tomb of the granddaddy of communism, Karl Marx. According to The Telegraph, Marx's left-wing cachet could help maintain the cemetery's income stream. Jarv, what's going on here? So in, in North London, in Highgate, there is Karl Marx's gravestone, this tomb, which is a, a massive bust of Karl Marx's head. It's quite a strange looking thing. It <laughs> attracts all sorts of uh, all sorts of tourists all throughout the year. But so you can get buried in Highgate, which is generally, I believe, to be quite expensive. But now they're going to make room for new graves near his tomb and charge £25,000 for each one. So the famous communist surely would love this new ingenuitive form of posthumous capitalism he's been, <laughs> he's been brought into here. So there's already 53,000 graves in Highgate and they're going to get landscaping and permission and all sort of thing to get more. But you can actually, and I don't think this is so bad, the cost of burial ranges from 5,000 for cremation plots. So you get just a little plot. Yeah, that's bargain. So I, I might choose to be cremated so I can be put in a 
an easier place for cheaper. You can put me somewhere really cool <laughs> if I'm the smaller. Money. Yeah, exactly. You're like the Queen, you don't own any of it. No, no, exactly. <laughs> no, I don't, exactly. I don't own my own ashes, even. <laughs> they might be stolen by a two-year-old at some point. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, the graves cluster around, because there are quite a lot of graves around marks right now in Highgate, mm-hmm. and that includes people like, um, there's Claudia Jones, the amazing British civil rights leader, founder of the Notting Hill Carnival, Yusuf Dadu, South African communist and anti-apartheid activist. So, you know, there's already some people have got in on the action. Um, Gronia, who would you like to be buried near? I would like to be buried next to Hollywood actor, champion Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire. <laughs> Because right. I just think in about 50, 100 years' time, people will see Toby Maguire, Gronya Maguire. Oh! They're not going to know. what They're going to check it on Wikipedia. They won't have time. They'll be like, oh, that's so cute. They were married. It's a good idea. <laughs> Some little post-death stalking going on yeah. there. Can I, uh, I did a tour of Highgate Cemetery and I saw the funniest gravestone I've ever seen in my life. Well, funny, like tragic. So the gravestone, it was like two intertwined hearts. Oh. But... Only one of them was filled in. So it was like, let's I can't remember, but it was like a woman's name, like Mary Smith, and then born death. And then there was an intertwined heart that was empty. So obviously, whoever Mary thought she was going to get buried next to, <laughs> after her death, got better options. Met someone else. She, she was stood up in death. Oh, my God. Now that is being ghosted. <laughs> And that's the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thanks to Jacob Jarvis. Thank you. Thank you to Gronny McGuire. Thank you. You like me. You really like me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course I like you. Join us in the Paper Cuts Supporters Club. Just three quid a month gets you ad-free episodes and extended editions, plus Paper Cuts t-shirts and mugs. Gronny couldn't find her Paper Cuts t-shirt today, but she does have a really cool t-shirt on. It says, hot girls can't do math. But you won't get that. Just Papercuts t-shirt. Head over to back.papercutsshow.com and follow the link in the show notes. I've been Alex von Tunzelman and you've been listening to Papercuts on a day when we celebrate and commemorate the life of Hammington the hamster who sadly died last year. Hammington's grieving owner has spent £175 to have him stuffed and displayed, I'm not making this up, as a pole dancing stripper. Hey, big spender, snap that thong. See you tomorrow. Paper Cuts was written and presented by Alex Van Tunzelman with Gronia Maguire and Podmasters group editor Jacob Jarvis. The producer was Liam Tate and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. Music is by Simon Williams. Socials by Jess Harpin and Mike Bollin. Design by Jim Parrott with original art by Modern Toss. The executive producer is Martin Boytosh and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. Paper Cuts is a Podmasters production. Podmasters.